I have got so much that I want to say tonight that I think we might be here till 11 o'clock at this rate. So I will try, I promise I will try and not make it as long as the medley. <laughs> oh dear. Sorry. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Firstly, the thing I would like to say is um, <clears throat> I got back from holiday a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it was quite an interesting time because, of course, I read a lot of books and it was, um, sometimes to get away is good. Um, I'm not someone who necessarily needs holidays, but I think sometimes, particularly when you're around the same place all the time and your job, your vol voluntary work is all within the same place, to take a step away can be very healthy, I think. And I've been someone who... And this is something that I've, I've told myself, nothing that anybody has ever imposed upon me, that to some, for some reason doing that almost means that you're not contributing your part and somehow God will be displeased that you've almost taken two weeks out of the whole process and you just think, for crying out loud, where did you get that from? So I, yes, I did enjoy my holiday thoroughly. And um, there was an interesting thing that happened out there because, um, like I say, I was reading really trying to open my mind to a lot of things, ask lots of questions, um, about myself, about faith, about who I think God is, you know, all of this stuff that I think is really good to, to tackle with. And it was interesting because it was about the um, night before we left and um, sat in the restaurant and there's a, a couple, couple next to us and um, she just turns across and she just goes, so how long have you got left of your holiday then? Just like that, like very, very, you know, kind of didn't feel nervous to make conversation. Of course, I said, you know, well, we've got, like tomorrow and then we'll leave. Um, and she said, oh, you know, have you enjoyed it? And of course we got into conversation and then that moved on to talking about that I was a dance instructor. And she was like, oh, that's great. I'm a she said, I'm a teacher as well, you know, and I teach in um, like creative arts. So there was kind of that connection there. And then he said that he was a, worked in the bin services, so there wasn't really much of a connection there. But of course we tried to make conversation you know, and be polite and all that. <clears throat> um, of course, that then led to talk about where the academy was located, which was, of course, within a charity. Well, what's the charity? Well, it's a big charity with lots of expressions, but within that, kind of started as a church, and we now try and have lots of... Because the moment you say church, you just think, here we go, this is cringy. Because, you know, they're smiling, but it's true. Because when you say church, God, faith, all that, people instantly make up in their mind what they think. You, where you're going to go, don't they? They do. And it, and it even makes your skin crawl a bit because you just think, I'm going to have to now clarify. No, I'm not, like, I'm not like that. You know, I'll explain kind of, do you know what I mean? And I even feel bad then for doing that because it's almost like I'm judging people who maybe haven't walked the same journey. And it's like, oh. So anyway, she, uh, she asked the question, you know, sort of like, okay, so, you know, you're part of a charity in a church. And I told about Chris and Anth and how they travel a lot, you know, taking this, this message all over the place. Anyway, within... A few minutes, I basically summarized New Covenant teaching, the issue of heaven and hell, the issue of punishment, the issue of eternity, as you do when you sat on holiday over dinner, you know, very simple, very simply done. And by the end of it, I have never felt, I have never felt so refreshed in all my life because these two people were beaming at me like, oh, like this, I'm thinking, Wow, for the first time in my life, I feel like I don't have to be ashamed of the gospel anymore. And that's what he meant. We've, we've, 
The gospel has been so misunderstood. Remember what gospel means, good news, and we've put gospel on there to try and avoid having to make it good news. Um, We've avoided it because we were so afraid of all the little the baggage that comes with it that people are like, well, actually, it's really not good what you're telling me. You're going to tell me all this bad stuff afterwards and I don't like it. But to be able to give a message to these people where they shook my hand at the end, they're like, it was such a pleasure meeting you and we're going to go and check out your website because it sounds absolutely fantastic what you're doing. I thought, how refreshing that the process that we have walked now enables us somehow to have that connection with people. Remember, we're people too. Somehow, all of that stuff can take you outside of being human. The fact is, we're human. And you know, we don't ever want religiosity and all that baggage to stop us from having an ability to tell people how loved they are and really how amazing the good news is. So I'm telling you, if it doesn't sound good, then I'm not interested. That's, that's me out. But the fact is, I know that we've grasped something that is really, truly good. Um, and, and I really want to carry on in this journey because I think it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So that was basically my little intro. It's really exciting. Um, tonight, I want to speak to you from Luke 15. Um, most of you will have read this story or heard of this story. And even if you're not a churchgoer, you are likely to have heard this story because it's very, very popular. And it is the story of, and I'm going to start by saying this, the lost son. Okay. Now, it is, the, it is a story of a lost son. Okay. But a couple of years ago, we had teaching from Anth where we realized, actually, it's not the story of a lost son at all. It's the story of two sons, one that happens to get lost and an older son as well who's in the house. But I'd like to extend that a little bit more tonight and say, actually, it's a story about a young son, a lost son, an older son, and also a father. Now, you're probably thinking, well, we know that. Okay. If we fail to really look deeply into this and see what, what Jesus is trying to say to his audience, it's actually about the father. The two examples that we use are these, are these two sons. But ultimately, if we don't understand why those two sons are being used, we will totally miss the point that actually this story is about the father. And I'm hoping that by the end of tonight, you in here will have a totally different perception of who father really is. And it may, you may all be on different journeys of your understanding of who God is, who the Father is, but I really hope tonight that somehow we can bring some clarity to that and really kind of assist you on your journey. Right, so let's read it to start out and let's see how we get on. So Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and I am here starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of man was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Is that it? Yeah, I think it is. Right. So basically, we have a young son who asks for his inheritance. What does the father say? Okay. So already we have a father who basically didn't try and argue. Okay. Right. Spends all he's got, comes back. What does the father do? unexpectedly, welcome home, all's good, right? We've then got an older son, right, who's as moody as heck outside because he's not getting what he wants. Father, again, doesn't seem to get moody or mad, simply says, my son, everything I have is yours. It's quite a nice story, really. Not much anger going on, is what it is. Stuff's happening, but the father seems pretty consistent with the two of them. Am I right? Yeah? Now, in life, we're all writing a story. As we go through life, a story is being written right? Now, in this story, there are stories that are being written as we read. And I believe that Jesus, when he was telling this, was trying to explain, these are the events that are going on. And if you don't, if you don't see it from another perspective, there is going to be a problem, right? So let's have a look at the first story. This is the youngest son's story. If you can put up the first slide. Right. He's ashamed of the choices he has made and is preparing for the judgment that will be made upon him. He feels no longer worthy to be called a son. Let's have a look at the father's story. Rope for his body, a ring for his finger, and sandals for his feet. All the signs he is still a son, although he decided it was no longer a son, the father thinks somewhat differently. A story of reconciliation and redemption. Two very different things going on there. Right? Next slide, please. Which story will the younger son believe is true? Is he no longer worthy or is he worthy? Which is it? Which is right? Now, you're all going to say, well, of course, because the father says he's worthy, he must be because it's God Almighty. If you were there, remember, hindsight and reading helps a lot. But if you are in a position, it's very difficult sometimes to get your head around that. Okay, so was he worthy? Or was he not worthy? Let's now have a look at the older brother because it works for him as well. It says in the passage, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends, but he squandered your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf. Now, when he blurts that out, that is not something that he just says in that moment. What he feels there is something that has been building up for a long time. Likewise, with the younger son going away, that might possibly have been something that was building up for a very long time. Don't always just think that, these, that when people speak out or say something, that's just something that happens in the moment. There can be years 
of stuff that's accumulated that basically brings us to that, to that point. So let's have a look at what the older brother feels. He feels he has to obey orders, making him feel like a slave to the father. He believes that even goats aren't available to him, seeing the father as a stingy one, basically a father that doesn't throw good parties. He has to live under a different set of standards than his younger brother, which is totally unfair. Let's have a look at the father's story. Very simply, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Was the older brother a slave? Had his father required him to obey orders to earn his keep? Or was everything readily available to him? Okay, including fattened calves, robes, rings, sandals. So the older brother, everything that the younger brother basically was having was also available to him. Again, which story is right? Now, notice that there's a term here that comes up. It's not fair. The older brother says, basically, it's not fair that you're throwing this party for the younger brother. Now, let me throw out at this point right from the beginning. The father never came to establish a motto of fairness. Let that sink in. And the new covenant teaching, that is the most detestable thing. The thing that we hate about inclusivity in the kingdom is that all the stuff that we've ever done in our lives to tick the boxes, but yet someone comes in after squandering the wealth and sleeping with prostitutes, but yet they're on the same level as us. <sighs> Painful, isn't it? Because we want, them to, we want there to be a tier system, we really do. Grace is not fair. It's not fair for you even though you may not think you need it, the fact is we do, grace is not fair for you and it's not also fair for the other. The father is only ever fair in one area and do you want me to tell you what it is? Unfairness. The father can only be fair in being unfair because that's how he operates. Quite amazing really, isn't it? If you're looking for a gospel that practices fairness, this isn't the one for you. Because the Father's world is full of profound unfairness. People get what they don't deserve on both sides. Quite a powerful message that, isn't it? So the Father has a very different perspective of both of his boys. Now here's the question, if you can put up the next slide, please. Will they trust his version of their story, or will they continue to believe they are, they are right in how they view themselves. Let me read that again. Will they trust his version of their story or will they continue to believe that they are, they are right in how they view themselves? Now at this point, it appears that the younger son accepts the offer and enters a very opulent party, right? Lots of good food, good music, dancing. The party is on. Now, just coming back to this, the party has been thrown for a man who took all the money, gambled, slept with prostitutes, and has now just come back, and a party's been thrown. Just let it sink in. I, sometimes we don't read what's actually been said. We can just think, oh, well, that's okay, because it's God. No, it's, it's, we, it's quite a big deal. He's done all the stuff that you could say are wrong, and yet here we have just this absolute radical acceptance that is so incredible. The older son, however, is posed with exactly the same challenge. Which story is he going to believe? Is he going to believe that he's been a slave? Or is he going to believe that everything that the father has 
as always belong to him. Now, this is where I'm going to throw out the point here. I believe that whichever side you fall on and which story you believe is literally the difference between heaven and hell. I believe it's the difference between whether you exist in heaven or whether you exist in hell. Now, some of you, again, are thinking destinational. Get it out of your head. We're not talking about that. It's a whole other argument, yeah? I just want you to take the words just as they stand a second, right? Now, this is where I get really excited now, right? Because, look at this. Where are the sons? They're in the father's house, am I correct? Okay, both sons? Yeah, okay. But one of the sons won't join the party, but is in the father's house. Am I correct? Is that possible? That we can be in the father's house and not join the party? It's a, new co- it's a, it's a good concept, isn't it? How, how is that possible? I thought the father's house was everybody was partying because if it's heaven or whatever. But here we have two people in the father's house and one doesn't want to go in the room. I kind of picture it as a very unhappy man peering through the crack of a door. Party's going on. He's in the room next door looking through thinking, what on earth is going on here? This is awful. How, how can they possibly throw a party for, for, this, for this person? So heaven and hell are literally existing parallel to each other. I just think it's so exciting because in effect, they're not two separate entities. They're actually integrated together. Now, to me, that sounds like more of an exciting message and it makes it something more easy to get your head around and I'm going to develop on that. Put up the next slide, please. So hell is the refusal to believe the father's version of our story. Now, we all hold our own perceptions of how we view our lives. Each one of you in here tonight will have a view of how you see yourself. And like the two sons, there are two ways of looking at it, right? So we'll look at it in context of how, how life works. We've got one, we can struggle with worth, Shame, guilt, value, significance, can't we? To the point at which we're so broken because we think we are so worthless that we can hardly function. That is hell on earth. You don't need to go to a place hell to experience what hell is if you're living in that reality. I know what it's like when I struggle with my value and the people who are closest to me will know what happens. I literally cannot function. That's not heaven. It is literally like hell to me. And all of you in here tonight will know where your hell exists because we all have different areas of struggle with worth, value, like the things I just said. However, on the opposite side, we have this. I say opposite side, but we'll develop that in a second. We believe we don't have any sins or any issues and convinced of our own right standing before God because we have obeyed all the rules. Therefore, we should be treated differently. That can be much more subtle. One of my pet hates is sometimes that we view people who have issues with worth and value as somehow it being worse than people who like are quiet and just think, oh, I'm okay. Actually, both of them are are just as equally destructive. Somebody who struggles with a lack of humility because they feel they've always got to be right, that's hell as well. Because you live your life drained and tired, always having to try to be right, and it just doesn't work. Now, both of those things whether shame, lack of worth, value, or this arrogance, pride to believe that you've got it right and therefore you deserve something more, are both pride. 
they're both pride. Now, some of you will struggle with that. That doesn't mean that we both don't struggle with them, but the problem is, whether we're struggling with insecurities or struggling with self-righteousness, both are actually an obsession with self. And we both need to be, we all need to be aware of that because sometimes we can believe that somehow whimpering about ourselves is okay, is, you know, that's acceptable because, oh, well, you know, they're struggling and somebody who's proud and arrogant, that's bad when actually both of them are just as unhealthy. Does that make sense? Right. This story shows how liberating the gospel is. It's just incredible. I love what Rob Bell says. If you just put up, it's up already. What the gospel does is confront our version of our story with God's version of our story. I just think that is absolutely awesome. So we have two versions, basically, which one are you going to believe? It's definitely one to write down if if you're taking notes. Now, it begins with the absolute truth that love is at the center. Love is at the core. Whatever is going on, the heart of the Father is towards us. That, again, is a challenge for some of you. The heart of the Father is towards you. An invitation is being extended to us. Everything I have is yours. However, and this is where the problem comes, some of us have been clinging to our story for so long now that it's hard to get your head around that there might possibly be anything different. Years. It's like someone says to you, I tell you what, there might actually just be something different to contradict that. That can't possibly be. 25 years, 30 years, 50 years I've been like this and it's kind of working for me. Is it? You know, how is it working for you, really? So all of a sudden, you're presented with a message about this father who the center is love and he wants to bring peace. That's quite hard to get your head around if for years, all you've ever believed is that your story was the only one. Does that make sense? Good. So why do we struggle so much to grasp the different story? And I'm going to tell you why. It's because of our completely distorted view of the Father. Distorted. We can trust a Father where the very view we have of him is distorted. It makes sense. It would happen in real life. You know, people who struggle with earthly fathers or whatever, or relationships. So here's the issue. The church has done a very, very, very good job of teaching a God with a personality disorder you're allowed to laugh. Right. Tell you why. God so loved the world that he sent his son to die that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Again, don't focus too much on the words. If you want to ask questions, we can develop that a little bit more. Basically, everything he was, he sent himself to be a living sacrifice. All of God went into one cell and became a living sacrifice because he cared for you that much to restore you to himself. Now, that is pretty awesome isn't it? But one second, because there's more. Get it wrong, and that very same God that just sent himself to sacrifice himself so that you could basically live in eternity with with him can strike you down and send you to, to conscious eternal torment forever, basically living within an absolute hellhole forever. The same God, okay? The same God, hear me, God who is love, who literally sheds every drop of his blood, will then in the next breath, throw that away and say, but you didn't tick all the boxes, so therefore you're doomed. I'm sorry, there's no entrance for you. The same God. Have a think about that a second. And if you're you're like, yeah, but biblically, 
wait a minute, think for yourselves just for a minute. How does that make you feel? Because remember, we can back up, all of us can find scripture to defend any argument. We can all back up our argument with something. So I just want for a second you to understand what that means to you, all right? I hope this is making some sense. Here's your other argument, and Chris preached beautifully on this. Yes, but Jesus came to save us from God. He did, did he? Okay, right. If you need saving from somebody, what does that mean? Is it, you know where I'm going, don't you? If you need to be saved from the wrath of God, then that means that God's actually not very nice. Why would you want to know a God like that? So basically, he had to send Jesus to rescue you from God. From God. But, but, but God so loved the world that he sent his son, but yet somehow he had to send Jesus to be rescued from him. You see where I'm going, right? It's just, just a thought. Why would we want to serve a God that we need saving from? Fear, precisely. Perfect response. It's right. Fear. Fear and worry. And yet we do it, but we don't really like it. That's the thing. So a loving father would go to massive lengths to show his love for people, but in the blink of an eye, become a cruel, evil, punishing father, laughing while you burn in endless torture. I just can't quite see the link. Really can't. And actually, and I'm going I'm to throw this out, if he's like that, and again, I'm willing to talk about all this stuff, there's lots of conversation, then Hitler was actually a nicer person. Which is an awful, an awful thought, you know, because what happened in that, those events were just so awful. Yeah, actually, more people have been, it's really a mass genocide, isn't it, that we see. And, and it's, so I, I'm just trying to throw these thoughts out so, you can, so we can see. We've, we've misunderstood the Father completely. So this is why we struggle to trust. Because the father we've been presented with is actually not really very lovable. He's not really worth loving if he's like that. We don't know if we're safe. So is there a problem tonight with the God that you serve? Right now in your seat, which God are you serving? Are you okay with it? Do you feel settled in your spirit? And if you do, that's fine. That's okay as well. But be willing to ask some questions. Definitely be willing to open your mind to ask some questions. Right, can you put up the next slide, please? So let's develop this a little bit more. So hell, then, is our refusing to trust the story, and our lack of trust is because of our distorted view of God. Amazing. Can you put up the next one? We'll just go straight, because we can miss that bit. Our view of the Father shapes our beliefs, and those beliefs then shape us. Now, let me throw this out to you here. None of us are forced to basically accept this, this story from the Father. So, you know, a lot of people in teaching say, yes, but heaven and hell, like God doesn't send blah, 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 it's choice. Yeah, it is, but let's get the heaven and hell part right. What do we mean by that? God does not, the Father does not force you to either come to the party or stay out of the party. It is literally your free will to do as you please, Right? Heaven and hell are an option to you on any given moment of time. But the party is happening, but we don't have to join in. Our beliefs will shape whether we eat the fattened calf or squirm in bitterness outside the banquet hall. All in the Father's house, happening at the same time, just in the rooms next door to each other. Amazing.
Now, the good news, and what we're trying to present here about this father, and I'm going to develop how, how we get on to understanding the real father here. The gospel is not a ticket to heaven, right? The good news is not a ticket to heaven. It is an invitation to the party. So I felt when I was chatting to those people in Turkey that I had invited them to a good party. I didn't feel embarrassed. I didn't feel, and they were invited. They didn't have to come. But the fact is, they were invited because it was good. It wasn't about, I'm going to now preach the gospel to you. So when you get to 90 and when whatever, at least you know you're going to heaven. That does not interest me. I care about people right now on the earth as we live. And I believe that that's what the Father cares about as well. Christians who talk about going to heaven and hell as destinations really don't throw very good parties. Do you hear that? Christians who talk about going to heaven and hell as destinations don't throw very good parties because their life has become about obedience to something that think that will get them a reward in the end. Basically, you become like the older brother. It's true. We don't party. We don't party enough. We, we often care so much about future that we're forgetting what's happening right now in this moment. Life is happening now. You're breathing, you're living, you're around people. We've had great music, we're, we're about to have good food. All of that is going on and we, we're constantly thinking about the next step of what the future holds rather than just embracing what is now. Life has never been about getting into something at the end. It's about being at the party right now. A peaceable kingdom, a place where we feel at rest, where we feel loved, where we feel accepted, where we feel forgiven, a place where everything the Father has belongs to us, living in Eden, back to that whole concept of Eden again. It's brilliant. So what is the Father's nature then? What is the true Father's nature? Is it a God who basically has personality disorder and flips like that, and you're always constantly looking over your shoulder and think, I don't know what my future is now. You know, Is he going to be mad at me? 1 John 4 verse 8 says this, God is love probably the most powerful scripture. Three words. I actually think, am I allowed to say this? The Bible should have been those three words. In my eyes. I'm not forcing that on anybody. I'll tell you why. If the whole concept was that we were serving a higher power than ourselves that was the very essence of love. We all know what love looks like. We all know what love does to us. It feels wonderful. Then a lot of the arguments that happen wouldn't happen. Now, I'm not saying that that's not good, that we shouldn't delve into theology and look at the text of people and what went on and potential kind of networks of what that <clears throat> made happen. But if simply three words existed, God is love. I don't know whether that could potentially produce a better party because often we spend so much time arguing over what's right, what's wrong. Oh, well, you know, that's not right because you've read the wrong, you've read the wrong version of the Bible. Or, do you understand what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying that I don't love the Bible because I do. It's a fantastic book and there's so much in there. But if God is love is not the center and we don't then look at everything else from that point, it just becomes baggage and actually it doesn't help us at all. So I really believe that the whole God is love thing, if you're reading through the Bible, make sure God is love, his essence is love. So if you read something and think, oh, but what there? God is still love. There will be something behind what is being said that is love. And if it's not love, then we've misunderstood the whole thing. I hope that kind of helps a little bit. 
So when we get our head around that the Father's nature is to love, it brings with it a sense of security because we know that his essence is love. He has no desire to punish, uh, no desire to slave drive. When you realize he retells your story in a totally different way, you feel you want to join in at the party. You are freed from guilt, the shame of the voice that is constantly telling you that you haven't done enough. So are we going to trust the retelling of the story? Our distorted view of God will either bring us, it basically will keep us out of the party unless we accept his story. But our distorted view of ourselves can also do the same. So misunderstanding of the father, misunderstanding of ourselves. Here's why. The younger brother believed his badness was the problem, making him unworthy. But the older brother believed his goodness was to his credit, obeying the rules and slaving for the father. Notice here we have one who believed his badness was the problem and one who believed his goodness was to his credit, right? But both separated them, did they not? Or potentially separated them. It just happens that one decided to go in. Both our badness and our goodness, hear me, will separate us because it's never been about that. It's never been about how bad you are, how good you are. Hence why the tree in the Garden of Eden was the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't the tree of evil. Why did God not want us to know what was good? Because he knew that the moment we started defining our lives by that criteria, we would be totally stuffed because we were never meant to think like God. He knew it would be too much for us. He wanted just us to enjoy the party that he, he put on for us. He's sorting the food. He's the wealthy one. He's got, he's got, the, he's got the manor house. Basically, we're just invited to, to join in, and yet really we wanted to become the owner of the manor. That was the problem. So, both separated from the father. Neither of these things determine the father's love. To enter God's love is simply a choice. It's a party ongoing, without end. All that's left is to simply trust Simply trust if you've left the father's house that the robe and the ring will be waiting when you get back. Simply trust that you are not a slave and you don't have to obey because that's never what it was about. Some of you will be in very different places. I'm more so on the the slave and obey side. I still struggle to believe that, um, that if I don't get my life just right, that somehow my future is doomed even though I've served faithfully, whatever, in my head I get very anxious and that's actually because I've got a distorted view of the Father. Sometimes I get it, sometimes I get my head around it. And recently I've had a bit of an epiphany but doesn't, you don't know however long it's going to last for because every day you, you're posed with new things or whatever. I hope this is making sense to you anyway. Um, there's a scripture in Philippians 3 that says this and I, and I think this is awesome. So let us live up to what we have already attained. What does that mean? So what he's saying is, it's already done. You now live up to it. Now, when we think live up to it, we think, oh, live up to it. There you go. Got you, Joel. It says live up to it. That therefore means I'm going to give you the rule book afterwards. That's what he means by living up. No, it basically means going to the party. I've done it all. It's finished. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to come and join in or are you not? It's entirely up to you, but the party is going to happen whether you like it or not. It's there. And that, to me, makes it an exciting message. 
Because at any point we can change our mind. Changing our mind in the Father's house, and that's incredible. Right, I'm nearly done. Thank you for being so patient with me. We don't have to believe to make the Father's love exist. It just is. There's nothing you can do to stop him loving. Nothing. You can be good, won't stop him loving. You can be bad, won't stop him loving, which is why neither of them make any difference. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be good citizens and try our best to operate within that love. I believe that sometimes we've maybe presented that God's like a bit of a narcissist, that we have to somehow, because he's loved us, we have to somehow um, all the time be giving him back that love. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with being, with what do you call it, reciprocating that love to God. But I don't believe he necessarily needs it, but I believe it's, that's what relationships do. I believe the father's intention was the outworking of the love then outwards. Again, those who have been forgiven much, love much. I believe that he is more bothered about an outward, horizontal outworking of that love. And I think that's where, you know, we shouldn't just go out and deliberately be bad. And neither should we deliberately go out and be good. We should do it because of an understanding of the love that he has basically given us. Nothing that we've deserved, but basically just pure gift. A couple of scriptures that I think are fantastic. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God has saved us not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. While we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. It's all about saving, all about reconciliation, all about redeeming people. It's good news. It's all good news. Now, to wrap it up, I hope that's made sense. And I hope you have a very different view of the Father now because we've misunderstood him completely. Um, And you may be in a place tonight where you are, you've gone and spent all your wealth or you might be a place who stood outside getting very annoyed because all your life you've obeyed and you know, you wouldn't even give me a goat and et cetera, et cetera, and we can all be there. I really hope that tonight you will surrender and say, I am invited. This is not what the story is. I've misunderstood. If you want to go and spend your wealth, go. But the fact is, when you get back, the Father will still be waiting when you choose to come back to join in at the party. And if you want to have your little bullshit mood in the room next door, then go ahead. It doesn't feel great, but the party's still on, and when you're ready, open the door, and the Father will just be as ready to receive you. Does that make sense? So this is the letter I wrote. This is what I would want to receive as a party invitation from the Father. And I thought this summed it up. So this afternoon when I was at home, I thought, right, what would I want as an invitation from the Father? So this is what I've written. Dear Joel, I know every moment of insecurity and infidelity, and I also know every moment of self-righteousness and arrogance. I forgive you without reservation, and I love you beyond reason. Before you are ever good enough, I am extending an invitation to the party right here and right now. I am not inviting you because of anything you have achieved, because quite frankly, I am not remotely interested. But I invite you because I want you to experience everything that is already rightfully yours. I love you when you think you're right, and equally love you when you fall flat on your face in the pig pen. Please will you trust that I am not mad with you, and neither am I looking for anything from you. I just really want you to see what I see. I really hope to see you at the party, RSVP. Yeah? 
you know what RSVP Respondo Civil Play? Basically, it means we're waiting to hear back from you whether you're going to be joining us. No pressure. I mean, so many times I don't get back in touch. Terrible, isn't it? If you're going to give me an invitation, <laughs> I apologize now. Um, it basically means, are you coming? Please let us know. Please, we want to know that you're coming. The only thing you need to do is trust. Simply trust. Which version of the story will you believe? Another story has been told. The party is happening right here and right now. Will you choose heaven or hell? Which version will you believe? And that's it. Good.